In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we spoke this week um, that we have a kind of a, a single message that we've spoken about in three different parts. So the first day on Monday, we spoke about the first part, and then yesterday the second part, and today, God willing, we're going to conclude with the third part. And the theme that we've been speaking about was the idea of going from death to life. On Monday, we spoke about in Isaiah chapter 50, which is the certificate of divorce. When God was speaking to his people and he was saying, I have not issued you a certificate of divorce, meaning I have not divorced you, I have not rejected you, but you are the one actually who have rejected me. That was the first principle. God made it clear that, that the ones who have rejected is us. We are the ones doing the rejecting and not God. Then he continues in Isaiah chapter 50 and he says what? But I can deliver you. I am a deliverer, right? Like even though you have rejected me, even though you are living in darkness, I can restore you again. And he said the form of this deliverance is going to come through suffering. It's going to come, come through some kind of a suffering. And there's a very famous verse in Isaiah chapter 50 where he says what? I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from, the sh from shame and spitting. Right? So, so God is, is, is prophesying. He's saying about in the future the form that this redemption, that this restoration is going to take is going to come through some kind of a suffering that God himself is going to suffer on our behalf. And then finally, in uh, Isaiah chapter 50, he gave us like an invitation to obedience. He said, now that I'm offering you all these things, come and obey me. On Tuesday, we focused on Isaiah chapter 61, um, this is the famous verse that Christ himself quoted from the Old Testament in uh, Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This was the, the focus and the mission of the of the, of the service and the ministry of Christ on earth was to focus on this idea that he is preaching to the poor, he is healing the brokenhearted, he is the deliverer of those who are captive. So this represents the new life, the redemption that God is offering to his people now that he is coming to save in the incarnation. All throughout the Old Testament, the people were waiting for the coming of the Messiah for this point in time at the incarnation when the Messiah came and now he is offering a new life and salvation to the people. So. Today we're going to continue on that theme of the new life and what that new life looks like in the New Testament. What is the form of that life that God is calling us to live? And we see how very much this life is involved with the church. The purpose of the church is for the salvation of God's people. And this is why we call the church the Ark of Salvation. Just as in the Old Testament, the Ark of Noah kept the people safe in the midst of the flood, so also the church is the Ark that keeps us safe from the flood of the world. And if you read in Galatians chapter 4, this is a, a very good summary kind of of what is the process that we as believers go through for the redemption, for the reuniting with God, for the restoration again after we have rejected him. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, there is a lot here, and we're going to try to break down what exactly what this means. 
But what I, what I do want to emphasize, though, is the, the plan of salvation that God had wasn't simply, you know what, I forgive you your sins, we're good now, everything is fine. The plan of salvation of God is so much deeper and so much more profound than simply, I forgive you your sins and, and, and as though it never happened. Actually, the status that God is giving us now is an even greater status than we had before. Okay, And, and we're going to try to understand what this verse means. Okay, So the first part, when he says what? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. So what does this mean, under the law? Adam and Eve, okay, they were born free from sin and free from any consequences of sin. But after they sinned, they earned for themselves the wages of sin, which is death. So because of the sin that Adam and Eve sinned against God, because of the disobedience that they disobeyed God with, they became separated from God. This wasn't a punishment. This wasn't like God is angry at them and saying, you know what, because you disobeyed me, I'm going to punish you by kicking you out of the Garden of Eden. That is not what happened. This is the natural consequence of sin. Just like the natural consequence of crossing the street without looking both ways is you can get run over by a car. It is the natural consequence. It's not a, it's not a punishment, right? It's not that somebody came and said, because you crossed the street without looking both ways, I'm going to send a car to hit you, right? That's not what happens. The natural consequence of, of, of doing something careless like crossing the street without looking could get you killed, right? And this was the natural consequence of sin. The natural consequence, not because God sent punishment. It is because the natural consequence of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So at that point, because the wages of sin is death, all of mankind died. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. Of course, they were the only two humans alive at the time. But it was through their sin and their corruption that we all sinned in them. We read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So it is like we are participating in this sin. We, are, we have inherited the same corrupted nature that Adam and Eve had after the sin, and so we have now all become sinners. Okay? Then, if you fast forward some time, we come to the time of Moses, and God gives Moses the law. Okay, He gives Moses the law. And what is the purpose of the law? Obviously, the law is what's telling mankind what is right and what is wrong, right? Formally, right? As a statement. We, he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he gave them so many other commandments, saying, this is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. You should be circumcised. You should offer sacrifices. There's five types of sacrifices. Here are all the laws and all the things that the people had to follow. But the law was too difficult for them to follow. They could not follow the law. And so they failed at following the law. And so when here Christ is saying that he's coming to redeem those under the law, it means that those people who are under this yoke of burden of, of obeying this very difficult law, which, which they were not able to keep, and they were kind of condemned because they couldn't keep this law of God. He's saying, what? I'm freeing you from the burden of this law, right? What was the purpose of the law of the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, the law didn't actually save because there was no redemption. Like if, if the law could save, then there would be no reason for Christ himself to incarnate and come and die for our sins. But the purpose of the law was to show mankind that it is, there is no possible way that they could conform and live up to the standards of God. 
right? Like God said, this is my standard here. Now try to follow it. And every single person that tried to follow this law failed. They couldn't follow the law, right? Because God's law demands perfection, right? He, he, he demands a standard that is so far higher than a human being can attain. And this was actually the standard that God had expected in the Garden of Eden, which is do not disobey me in anything. Right? Always, be, always do the good thing. Always do the right thing. Always make good choices. Be Christ-like. Okay? But we failed utterly at this. So in the giving of the law in the Old Testament, God was showing the people okay, that there is no way that you could ever follow this law. Okay? And so you are in need of salvation. You are in need of someone to come and to remove the requirements of the law from you. Right? This was the whole purpose of the law of the Old Testament, so that we see how difficult it is and to see our own sin and to our own weakness. The only way that we know our own sin is when somebody gives us a standard and then we try to meet that standard and we realize they can't do it. Like, for instance, if anyone thinks they can run fast, for instance, we think we are fast at running, and then you compare yourself to an Olympic athlete, okay, and you see how fast they can run. Like, maybe we thought we were fast at running because we were comparing ourselves with, like, you know, toddlers or, or teenagers or whatever, like people that are not as athletic as people who are professional athletes and professional runners. When we compare ourselves with a very low standard, we look at ourselves and we say, okay, I'm pretty good. But when you compare yourself to the perfect standard, to the ultimate standard, you put your, your, you're put to shame. Like, I can't, I can't live up to this standard. And so this is the standard of God that he has set. And when we begin to compare ourselves against God's standard, when God reveals to us here, this is my standard, and he gives the law. and says, this is my standard. Very quickly, we realize that we are sinners. And very quickly, we realize that we cannot live up to the standard, and we have not lived up to the standard. And the only way that I can have redemption and salvation is because God's mercy. Because God has mercy and removes this requirement upon me and allows me to be united with him apart from the law. Because I cannot be saved through the law. And this was what the Messiah's coming was all about. He was coming to remove these requirements from the law and, 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 and to allow us to, um, to receive the mercy of God. Uh, a parable that Christ gave to kind of illustrate this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. So in this parable, there was like a king and he had a servant. And this servant owed this king, this master, he owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, 10,000 talents would be like the equivalent of like millions of dollars today. Okay? And there was no way that this servant could pay this debt to the king. And so the king, out of his mercy, he canceled the debt. He said, you know what? You don't have to pay me this debt anymore. Okay? But then this servant, he went out to find one of his other fellow servants, like one of his peers. And he said, you owe me money. Pay me the money that you owe me. Right? Even though the money he owed him was very little. Instead of thinking what... Well, I was, I was forgiven this gigantic debt. I should also forgive the debt of my fellow servant. But he went and he what, sought after this debt. When the master realized that this is what the servant had done, he, he condemned him and he threw him in jail. And he said, you will not come out of prison until you have paid every last penny of what you owe me because you are cruel and you did not forgive your fellow servant the way that I forgave you. So what was the meaning of this parable? This debt of the 10,000 talents represents the debt of sin because of the sin that we have done against God. He's saying, what, if you want, if you want, to, you know, if, if you want to be righteous, then you have to pay this debt, right? 
And this is a debt that we cannot pay. None of us can pay this debt of perfection, of righteousness that God is calling us for. So he says, what? I'm just going to cancel this debt because you can't pay it. I'm going to show you mercy and grace and offer this to you because you cannot pay this debt ever, right? But I want you also to do the same for your neighbor, right? This is why when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the exact, this is the purpose of this parable to teach us this lesson. So this is the law, this 10,000 talents that we are called to pay. This is the law. It's like we, each one of us is born into the world with this gigantic debt that we cannot pay, right? And how is it that we are going to pay? So we are in slavery, essentially. We are in slavery when we are born because we cannot pay this debt, right? But Christ, instead of coming and saying, you know what, I'm going to demand from each of you that you're going to pay this debt to me, instead I'm just going to cancel the debt freely. So this is when it's saying what? In the fullness of time, the Son of Man, he came, right? Uh, born of a woman under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Okay. Then he continues and he says what? That we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay, what, is, what does this mean, that we might receive the adoption as sons? Okay. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what does it mean to be a son of God? Because sometimes we, we consider, we use the term like children of God very loosely. And we say, you know what, everyone in the world is a child of God. Actually, that's false. Not everyone in the world is a child of God. To become a child of God, Christ had to die for this. And, and it requires baptism, as we're going to talk about. So when we are born into the world, we are born as slaves and not free. Right? This is what the scripture says. We are born as slaves and not free. So we are like slaves of the master, okay? And yet, God, because he loves us, he doesn't want to be us to be slaves. He wants us to be sons. So he says, what, I'm going to adopt you into like my family. Imagine you have like a family where, who has like a slave. And he says, I love this slave so much, I don't want him to be a slave anymore. I want him to be a son or daughter in this family now. And with all the rights of a son or a daughter, okay? So this idea of adoption, that we might receive the adoption as sons, is essentially saying, God, God is telling us, you are not going to be anymore a slave, but you are going to be a son or a daughter in the family. And then so we ask this question, how is it and through what means do we become sons and daughters in the family of God? Is it simply because of God's sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice on the cross? Well, certainly that is absolutely necessary. That had to happen. But it, was that enough? Was that the only thing needed? Actually, there's a part that we play as well. You know, God does the majority of the work of salvation, the part that we absolutely cannot do. But then he tells us, but there's something you must do. There's a part that you must play in this like, life of salvation, in this process of salvation that, that you have. And here is where he begins to introduce the idea of the sacraments, the idea of the work of the church. What is it that we should be doing in this life? right? Am I just a passive recipient? Just sitting and saying, well, I'm going to receive from God all these things simply because he did them. Actually, no, God tells us that there's something we must do. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Meaning what? That we have become like Christ himself. Imagine that when we are baptized, we put on Christ so that in the eyes of the Father, we are exactly like His Son. We are now like His Son. 
right? So we are not slaves. We are not servants. We are not far away from him and separated from him. We ourselves become the sons of God. In John 15, 15, Christ is speaking to his disciples and he says, No longer do I call you servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. This promotion that God is giving us from the rank of a servant to the rank of a son, this is what salvation is about. Okay? And this is done through what? Through baptism. And this is why baptism is very important. You know, sometimes we think about, well, baptism, what exactly is happening in baptism? With our eyes, all we see is someone is going inside the water and they're coming up out of the water again. And maybe this is a very regular, common thing that we do every day in our homes when we take baths, is we go in the water and we come up out of the water and we don't see that there's anything very special or unique about this water or about that anything that's happening. Because with our physical eyes, when we look at somebody going into water and coming out, we don't see any change, right? Well, let me give you another example. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was the one to sin before Adam, okay? And she took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she ate from it. And then we know that she, she experienced a spiritual death in that moment, okay? Because again, the wages of sin is death. She sinned against God, so immediately in that moment, she experienced a, a spiritual death. But physically, nothing changed in her. Why do we know this? Because when she came to offer the forbidden fruit to Adam, he didn't recognize that there was anything wrong with her. He didn't recognize that she was sick or that there was anything kind of, she looked, she looked not well anymore. She offered it to him and he ate from it, right? So even though she had experienced a, a spiritual death, but physically she looked normal. She, there was nothing immediate that he could point out saying, you know what, I'm not going to eat of this because if I do, I'm going to become like you. No, there was nothing. So just as the spiritual death didn't produce any physical manifestation at, at the time, so also the spiritual renewal, the spiritual recreation, the spiritual life that we receive in baptism also doesn't necessarily have to have any physical component, right? When you look at a person who goes into the water of baptism and comes out, maybe you don't see with your eyes any change or any difference, but we believe and know that there is a genuine extreme change that's happening in that water of baptism to grant us this adoption. That when we go into the waters of baptism, we are like slaves. And when we come up out of the waters of baptism, we are like sons and daughters of God, right? This is the, this is the, the, the extreme amount of change that happens in the waters of baptism, okay? So he says, now what? Now that we have received the adoption, okay? He says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Crying out, Abba, Father. So what is Abba, Father? It means now, for the very first time, we can refer to God as Father because we are truly sons. We are not simply servants. We are not simply slaves. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God right to be called children what manner of love this is an act of love that god has given to us and a one that we have accepted a one that we have affirmed a one that we have received actively i'm actively choosing to receive the love of god through my baptism and to become sons of god okay again this is why we cannot just casually throw around this term children of god children of god okay 
Not everyone in the world is a child of God. Okay? Those who have participated in the baptism are considered child, children of God. Those who have not are not children of God. They are slaves. They are slaves. This is why the baptism, this is why the sacraments are so important. So he go on, goes on and he speaks about what? That they are, that they are um, you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. So as slaves, we had no relationship with the father and we were under the bondage of sin. And this is the bondage of slavery. Why is it that we were slaves? Because we had no, we had no control. We were corrupted and we lived our life in sin and in darkness and we had no way to free ourselves from this bondage of sin. But now Christ has given us freedom from the sin and from the bondage that we were in. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So Christ is saying, and here St. Paul is speaking to the Galatians, and he's saying what? You were originally under the yoke of sin and slavery to sin, and now Christ has set you free from this bondage, he has like broken your chains of slavery. And now he's saying, do not willingly go back again. Do not willingly go back again to the same bondage you were in. We spoke about this concept yesterday when we spoke about to set the prisoners free. One of the things Christ did was to set the prisoners free. And we said that even though Christ opens the door of the prisons so that the prisoners can, be, can go free, sometimes we as prisoners in the prison, we just choose to remain in the prison. We don't want to go out of the prison because going out of the prison, we come out of our comfort. Maybe as, as much as the prison maybe is not a great place, and yet I, it's a comfortable place. It's a place that meets some of my needs, and I'm happy to be there. Just like the Egyptians, when, when God granted them freedom from slavery in Egypt, immediately after they went out, they said, you know what, we want to go back to Egypt again. Okay? So this slavery right, that God has you know, banished from us that we are no longer slaves it's something we continue to struggle with that we are called to a life of purity we're called to a life of righteousness to continue to put away the slavery the old man that it is that we have left behind that was killed in the baptismal water that has been killed we don't go back to this again we say you know what i desire back to go back and to live like this old man again god is setting us free from sin and from these carnal urges finally he says what in this verse in galatians chapter 4 he says, therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. If a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What is an heir? Okay. An heir is of one, like a son, who inherits from his father. This is an heir. So when the father dies, right, the son is the one who inherits. Everything that belongs to the father belongs now to the son. And this is what Christ is. Christ is the heir. Okay? Um, we read uh, in Romans 8.17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Okay? Also we read that Christ himself is the heir of the Father. In Hebrews 1 verse 2, Has in these last days spoken to us by his, his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So what does this mean? It means that the son is the heir of the father. This is why the father says to the son that I have appointed all things under your dominion. I have given you all authority. Everything is yours, right? The father says to the son, everything is yours. And now the son says to us, and now everything that is mine is yours. 
So the Father gives the authority to the Son, and the Son gives that authority to us. So when the Son, when it says that the Son sits down at the right hand of God, now we also are sitting at the right hand of God. Because He is the head of the body, and we are the body. Right? He is the head, we are the body. So we together as the body of Christ sit with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Which means that everything that the Son has received, we have received. Because again, we are now part of the family. We are adopted. Just as any adopted son or daughter now receives an inheritance from the Father, just like the natural sons and daughters. There is no variation, there is no distinction between them. Right? When we were servants and slaves, we received no inheritance from the Father. But now as sons, we receive this inheritance. So all of this in the end, to understand this idea of salvation, that salvation is so deep and so meaningful, it's much more than just, I forgive you your sins. No, it's, I want you to be a part of me. It's like the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, has this very unique and special relationship of love between themselves. And now God is saying, I want you to be part of this. I want you to be like part of, not literally part of the Trinity, but I want you to be united with me in a way that all the benefits that we share with one another, I want you also to share. I want you also to benefit. The relationship between the Father and the Son is like the relationship between now the Father and us, which is beyond comprehension for us to understand what that means. But this is what, when we read in, um, in uh, In 1 John chapter 3, when he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. It is beyond comprehension. Behold what manner of love, has the Father, uh, of love the Father has bestowed on us. This is why when we speak about people that are outside of the church, people that are outside of Christianity, people that do not believe that Christ and Jesus the Messiah is the Son of God. People that are living far away from this grace that God has given. And we start asking questions like, well, so-and-so person, well, this is a good person. What's going to happen to them? Are they going to go to heaven? Well, I can't say that I have an answer. But what I can say is, where in this whole formula that we just talked about, did we talk about anything about the works? Did we say anything? This whole concept of becoming a member of God's family, it's not that God didn't say, if you're really good, I'm going to let you into my family. If you're really good, I'm going to consider you to be a child of God. Did it ever say this? It didn't say this. We, in our very shallow human physical perception, see things in a very superficial way. Very superficial. We see the superficial. When we see someone going to baptism and coming out again, it's very superficial. What, what really happened? Okay, great, you know baptism what's actually happening is so profound and deep that it's so difficult for us to even comprehend that what it is that happening so we can't take so lightly this idea of baptism this is the means by which God offers us this new life all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that was speaking about the coming of the Messiah and how the Messiah is going to do all of this for us how is it that we benefit from these gifts, from this grace, from this mercy that God is giving us? It has to be through baptism. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love everyone in the world. He wants, he loves. And he says, look, I love you. Come and be baptized. I love you. Come and be part of my family. I want you to be part of my family. I'm inviting everybody to be a part of my family. But we can't compare someone who has 
become a part of God's family with someone who is not and just kind of examine them on a superficial level and say, you know what, but this person is good and this person is good. It has nothing to do with being good. Because what? We believe that salvation is not by works. Salvation is by faith. Salvation is by the action that comes from faith, which is baptism. And to continue in the life of God and continue struggling to live according to the commandments of God. But all of this starts in that one moment of baptism. Right? And this is why baptism is so important. And this is the new life. This is the new life that God is offering. That we are literally, when we go into the waters of baptism, we die. And we come up out of the waters of baptism. And we are a new creation. Completely new. Like the, the old has died. We are not, that person that goes into the waters of baptism is dead. That person doesn't exist anymore. The person that comes up out of the waters of baptism is a new creation that is a member of God's family. That is an heir of God. Just like Christ is. Right? Adopted by God. Right? So we have to take this very seriously. And this is really what all of this week is about. You know, throughout this week, we focus a lot on the sufferings of Christ and the prophecies about the coming of Christ. All of this is to show us how much God suffered and sacrificed just to allow us to be part of his family. It wasn't an easy thing for him. Like, that's how much he cared is because he wanted us to be with him, to be in his family, so that we are raised and resurrected with him and to live eternally just as he lives forever. And so we wait expectantly for the day of the resurrection because on the resurrection, this is where we received all the benefits and all the promises that he gave us. So glory be to God forever. Amen.